Hey folks, and welcome to Growth Triggers. This is a new segment we're piloting on Deconstructor, a fun podcast focusing on all matters growth. Now, Growth Triggers has two hosts, Eric Suford, founder of Mobile Dev Memo and Heracles Media. Eric is a man who served as head of growth at several top gaming companies and by far the most knowledgeable person to talk about growth that I know of. And your second host is, host is myself, Mishka Katkov, founder of Deconstructor Fun and Savage Game Studios. My background is on the product management and studio leadership side of games. Now, why our background is somewhat relevant is because in this segment, we'll tackle the topics from both marketing and product perspective. So as we're developing this segment, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover and what we can do to improve. I hope you enjoy the show and I hope we're able to earn all five stars. Before we start, as always, big thanks to our sponsors. We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and a company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use Iron Source's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on Iron Source's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. Welcome, 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 everybody. And the holiday season is approaching. So, Eric, what kind of gifts are you giving people for this holiday season? I'm giving the gift of knowledge. Uh, if you are looking for a stocking stuffer for the hard-to-please product manager or mobile games company executive or advertising manager, uh, or analyst in your life, um, and you just you just can't satisfy them with uh, the normal bric-a-brac, consider buying them uh, the Modern Mobile Marketing at Scale course, which I published uh, about six months ago um, and have recently updated for iOS 14. So it's about five hours of content across seven modules, including one module dedicated 100% to iOS 14. And I'm offering a 20% discount to all the listeners of this podcast. Um, when you check out, use the code DOF20. So that's capital D, capital uh, O, capital F, two O, all all one word. Use DOF20 and you'll get 20% off the purchase price. 
That's pretty dope because if you go to MDM, you'll get only 10% off. So this is like, Hey, don't, uh, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) You're you're selling me out. Uh, So this is definitely something that, uh, that a real, real leader needs to do just before the holiday season, just buy it for, for whoever is heading your UA or working in your UA team. And they will have to study through the whole package during their holiday, (laughs) during their holidays and come in prepared for iOS 14 come 2021. They're gonna like they're that. gonna come in prepared for iOS for iOS fourteen for ATT, which rumor has it is going live or it's it's gonna be required starting March. Ooh. So they'll have three months to. I'm dropping that that tidbit here. Nice. Although I dropped it on I dropped it on Twitter and I dropped it on the mobile demo Slack, but I'm also <laughs> dropping it here. Drops and drops and drops. All right, let's talk about let's talk about the topic. This is a self serving podcast, so. <laughs> So just like anything on Deconstructor of Fun. But, but let's talk about the other uh, topic of, we, we've got a couple of interesting topics. We're going to talk about today about games and brands, and we're going to talk about fake ads. And I wanted to start talking about games and brands. And, and this is something that, that got me thinking. So really curious to hear your opinion about this. So Heyday Pop was closed, was it, la- it, was, it was last week. So they decided to seize the production of the day. And I, I kind of started thinking about the brands and games and, I, and, and Heyday being one of them. So I thought, here's, here's my thinking process. I thought about Supercell portfolio, Heyday, Boom Beach, Clash, Clash of Clans, Clash Royale, and Brawl Stars. And then I went back and kind of looking at the history and they haven't really invested into Heyday brand. Heyday has had tremendous amount of installs. It's a, it's a huge game. It's been there for eight, maybe nine years. So it made all the sense to kind of make another game for a female audience, for that similar type audience who might have played Heyday at some point or is currently still playing to draw the, the audience in. And that was kind of like the selling argument with the game. Of course, they had some, some improvements to the core game or it was a little bit different, but nevertheless, it was the still same thing. But they hadn't really ever invested properly into the Heyday brand. And it was almost impossible to build any kind of narrative and they didn't do that. And, and I don't know, I feel like that was one of the reasons why it flopped. They haven't invested into Boom Beach either. And now we have a new Boom Beach game going on with, um, with Space Ape. Uh, I think it's called Boom Beach Frontlines and it's using the same IP. Uh, but I think it's, it, it's going to have the same, same type of a, uh, challenges because Boom Beach is not really an IP, but at least they've spent more money in marketing Boom Beach so people might know Dr. Evil and so forth. And then on right. the other hand, we have brands like, uh, Supercell has brands like uh, Clash of Clans, Clash Royale, and Brawl Stars. And both of these IPs have had actually tremendous amount of investment. So when you th- think about Clash, over the years, they've had um, the Clash Realm of the animations, they've had toys, They've been more and more stuff building around it and they've kind of expanded the world also through Clash Royale and things have been have been working on. And with Brawl Stars, they've actually done a lot. Again, a lot of investment on the community side, but also through for various animations. So I feel like they are investing into the IP. And I was, you know, visiting a friend's house and his kid had like these Brawl Stars drawings on the wall. So you can clearly feel that that this is a thing. It's just not it's not only a game, it's something bigger. Now, this is case of the Supercell. Then I was thinking about Rovio and Rovio went, you know, all in and into brands in like 2011 or 2010. And that, of course, caused the, the situation where the game suffered and they overexploited the brand. But nevertheless, despite all these issues that they've had, the brand recognition is still on, you know, top of the list. And that is a big part of the whole Rovio's value. My question to you is like, I was thinking about Garena, 
as an example, Greener Free Fire has, I don't know, maybe eight, 80 million DAU or something ridiculous like that. And it's a shooter game that is quite generic, but it has done extremely well. It's really a massive game, but they kind of don't have any, any brand. So the question is like, what's the sort of right way to build a game brand? When should you start building a game brand? And what is the, uh, the effect of the bottom line of having a brand? Well, I think there are just different approaches, right? Um, I, uh, you know, we, we had talked about this topic uh, a couple of days ago. So I just um, had, have, you know, have been thinking about, you know, what does a brand mean? What is, what is a brand to begin with? Like, could I, could I crisply define a brand, right? A, what, what a brand is? And I couldn't, right? I just thought of like, I, if I, could I come up with like a, a very clear um, 10 word d- uh, definition of a brand? And I couldn't. So um, anytime I'm ever stuck, on any problem related to like advertising or marketing, I go to this book that I have called Ogilvy on advertising. And it's, it's written by this guy, David Ogilvy, who's basically considered like the grandfather of, or the father of advertising. And I looked it up and, and, and I want to see what is, what does David Ogilvy define a brand as? And he defines a brand as the intangible sum of a product's attributes, right? Um, and kind of thinking about that helped clarify it a little bit. Thinking through that lens helped clarify it a little bit because you've got to distinguish between a brand and IP, right? Um, and I think of a brand, if you kind of take that intangible sum of a product's attributes approach, um, it's it's just, it's more like a look and a feel, right? And it's, it's kind of like um, a perception that you've bought, that you've paid for through advertising and just through, through reaching people. Um, and so what is a brand, in the, in the case of Rovio, I mean, there's a very clear aesthetic. Um, right. And there's a sense of, you know, there's a sense of a, of a, of a place of a, of a setting, which is this, you know, magical place where, you know, this, this, this magical setting where birds fly into pigs. Right. Um, and, and that's been kind of supported by all the things that they've done. Right. But it started just with the games and took off principally from the games. Right. Um, and now you could think about that, you know, any of those birds, like I, I know the names of the birds because I worked at Rovio and you probably do too, but most people don't know the names of the birds, right? That, that's, that'd be like the IP. So if you, if you tried to like spin out a game and it was just red, right? Mm. Um, and it had nothing to do with that kind of setting and the, 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 the fonts were different and it was just red, right? It was, it was red and he looked exactly the same, but like the name of the, the, name of the game was like red fight zombies. And it was like this really gritty game, Except that red looked exactly the same, but the rest of it were like these, like, you know, just really like gritty looking kind of haggard zombies shuffling around and red, you know, t- tossed himself at them. That game would bomb, right? That game would, that game would not work because it's not actually, it's not actually, um, it's not actually activating the brand. It's taking the IP uh, and the brand is, is sort of missing there. Um, and so to me, the brand is just a part of like the look and the feel and the aesthetic tone and the, and the, and the sort of perception that you've seeded in, in the user's mind. And so like, how do you benefit from a brand? Well, you have to do all those things. You have to build that perception. I was kind of thinking about it last night. It's like a brand is almost like being tall, right? If I like some people are tall and it's, it's a relative thing and you can't really define it, but some people are tall. You'd look at someone and, and we'd probably, if we saw someone like who played for a you know, professional basketball, we'd probably both say that guy's tall. Now, if we saw someone who was like three inches taller than me, we, we might, we might argue about like whether they're tall or not. Right. Um, but, but like, the thing is like, everyone sees someone who's tall and they're growing and they'll say, you know, I'm going to be that tall someday too. And some people just don't get that tall. Right. And I think that's the problem with brands. It's like, oh, well, I see angry birds. And so if we do that, if we invest in this aesthetic and we invest in this tone and we're very thoughtful about it and we're very consistent, one day we'll have a brand and we'll benefit from that. 
And that's just not the case, right? Not everybody gets tall. Not everybody reaches that the sort of the, the, the power of the brand. Not everybody sort of enables that. Um, and so I think like, well, if you want to, you have to start from the very beginning. It's, it's an investment that you make from the very start. Like how, how are these things that we're doing? How are these, these design decisions that we're making um, sort of seeding a brand? How are they, how are they sort of uh, working to generate a brand? And as we grow and grow and grow and expose us to more people. And part of this is just exposure. Right. So like, a, a, you know, a Garena, yeah, that it's been exposed to a lot of people. Um, but, you know, Angry Birds got exposed just to almost every single person on the planet in a short amount of time. Right. And not through ads, through a lot of like uh, free media. So I just feel like there's there's a couple pieces to it. There's the actual investment into the brand thinking. Um, and then there's the exposure, which you either pay for or you, you catch lightning in a bottle and you're Angry Birds and you expose to everyone on the planet. Like a Clash of Clans, they, a Clash has a brand. Right. But I mean, they've everybody has been exposed to that game and partly through just directly with an ad and partly because, oh, my little brother plays Clash or I've I've played Clash. Um, and it just takes a long time. And it's it's very it's it's like um, it could be very piecemeal if you're going about it through the just the advertising route and you don't tap into something that sort of accelerates outside of your own efforts. Right. And I feel like where I've seen companies make uh, big mistakes around trying to uh, benefit from a brand is they take a game, like take a Garena and they say, you know what, we're going to turn this into a brand. And they, they try to sort of manufacture that, um, that exposure uh, in a way that just becomes like really expensive and, and actually pisses off the underlying players because they make a lot of new design, design decisions that are like more consistent and, and, and sort of like um, more recognizable, like kind of stickier. Uh, and it just it just confuses the players and actually doesn't work to sort of uh, instill that kind of brand recognition in the broader public. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting, that's a really good points made. And but but okay, so let's let's consider Rovio for a second. I remember the uh, back in the days, like 2012 and something like that, 2013. The campaigns that Rovio was doing was were were really interesting. Like they would. At the at the launch of Bad Piggies, which was kind of like a brand extension, if you will, I remember them yeah. kind of like covering the whole building in in green and and that kind of stuff. Like there were these big stunts. I remember Angry Birds Space yeah. when they did the thing with the Space Needle in in Seattle, and and that was sort of a playful with the brand. And they were kind of like building up the brand through that, through these top of the top of the funnel um, marketing. Same thing with with Clash of Clans. I think. Uh, well, events are definitely s certain things that, that drive the um, the brand because, you know, part of that is is playing against either, each other in these big battles. And of course, uh, when you have um, these esports setups, that, that helps with it. But they have also done a lot of top of the funnel um, advertising with various... Um, I remember placing like statues around the cities and, and the Lamb Neeson ad yeah. was actually really good and kind of like yeah. enhancing what the brand is about. And not just being an ad, uh, that was that was really good. And 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 then I'm taking it back to to the case of of Heyday. And and this is just I was just trying to understand how come Heyday Pop didn't succeed. And I I'm just trying to make not even make a case, just asking if there's a case because they never invested into Heyday in the way that they've invested into other IPs that they've had. And whether if you had invested more in Heyday, like that game, I actually checked out the numbers had 200 million installs. That's huge. Wow. That is yeah. that is absolutely obscene a number of of installs for a for a for a simulate for a you know farming game. So yeah. when you consider that size of an audience, and they, I can't remember a single thing where they would have kind of brought up Heyday other than like small community videos. 
Right. So if if they had built around that, if they had you know invested a little bit more in the story of like what the hell is going on here, maybe there's a character, maybe there's the you know kind of played around with it and built a brand around that farm with a lot like now they have a lot of characters. Would the game have had more success? Because one of the things that was lacking is narrative. The the game had yeah. no narrative. It was just like popping carrots and and you know placing them there and just not interesting compared to gardenscapes or or Lily's gardens right. or, or homescape. So this is the kind of like a question is like, would, would um well, this is another question, but would, would they have succeeded better had they invested into a brand? Would that have carried them further? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's, um, it's, I guess it's hard to say because the brand may have not, may not have done anything for them. Hey, I'm looking at Hey Day's kind of uh, store listing right now. And they have characters in this, in this, in the screenshots, but like, they're all kind of generic. It's like a happy cow. You know the chi- the chicken with the big eyes is is probably the most recognizable Heyday character, right? But I mean, I pl- I played Heyday. I played Heyday a lot actually when it first came out. I don't know anything about that chicken, right? I mean, what's the what's does it have a name? Um, it, it just like they didn't really invest much in developing that out as like a brand asset, right? It's it's just sort of again, that's just like IP. Um, so I yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess that you know, given that Heyday was very successful, yeah, probably would have been beneficial for them to sort of like invest more in developing out a brand. Um, but you got to remember also Heyday was the first uh, kind of Supercell uh, mobile release, right? Because they they were doing like the um, the Gunshine and then it was, I think they did that Orcs versus uh, Pets or whatever that kind of got killed. And then it was Heyday. So I don't, I mean, like at that point, it was still a very small startup, right? Um, and I don't think they had any, like anyone who would, who would have been thinking about that kind of thing. Um, and then it blew up and it was doing like half a million a day, right? Which was like the first mobile game to ever kind of hit those numbers but yeah I, I my sense is that like there just wasn't a lot of bandwidth at the company to do because also it's at a startup it's hard to do that kind of stuff right and you, you i remember when um oh man uh seriously launched that was kind of their uh that was that was their, their sort of like modus operandi was like hey we have this history of building brands and we're going to be the first kind of mobile company that thinks about this from day one and we're going to go brand first um, and it, I think it worked pretty well. I mean, none of the games were ever like monster hits, but uh, you know the company did well and had a, had a, a, an awesome exit. Um, but I think like that, it takes that kind of deliberate sort of focus right out of the gate, right? Which uh, my guess is that like Supercell didn't have that um, capacity internally because it was a small startup. I don't even know if they had a marketing team at that point. I think it was just Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, yeah, I, at that point, true. But that two hundred million came throughout eight years right. so so there were points where they could have and seriously actually is a great example because i remember when that company started they started off with making a brand book like they were really right into that best fiends and yeah. of course of course the founding team coming in from rovio yeah. and since then they basically have made only games around that best fiends right uh franchise or brand or ip whatever you want to call it uh but it i, I don't know and they've, they've made animations they made a lot of like show like they were presented at it at the ellen show i think it was kind of like a, some kind of collaboration they were with some kind of a soccer team so there was a lot yeah. of things that they were trying to, to build the brand around but nevertheless like supercell of course in the beginning they did not have that type of um that type of resources to invest into heyday but it was eight years between yeah. the first game and the second game and 200 million installs between them yeah and in between that they've launched brawl stars boom right. beach uh, clash royale so for sure, they had all the chops to do 
anything and everything that can be done to to really kind of take heyday to the next level and and that that's that's the really the only thing because i played the game i played heyday pop and i considered it a good game like it was there were a lot of good things that they did around it and the only thing again that i have to say is like it was just it was shallow like they didn't have narrative when i compared mm-hmm. to to the playrix games or the apple ovens or firecraft studios or or any of the other narrative based games and and the question is like well could if they had invested into narrative and heyday pop would that have helped but more importantly was it just a little bit too little too late if they should have invested earlier on and kind of like you know made a brand book really you know spent maybe 10 million on on building a brand over over the eight years i mean if you're raking in a billion dollars it, it should be possible well, I think certainly when they saw that the game was massively successful, that would have been mm. like a wise way to divert some resources, right? Like a year in and you're making a ton of money with the game. And it's like, yeah. okay, we should actually, we should actually set this thing up for success. I mean, although like, I'm never, ever going to sort of criticize, uh, you know, a biz, like strategic business decision that Supercell makes because <laughs> they're so wildly successful. Um, but that might have been the case. And my guess is that they get sort of bombarded by people from like P&G and Coca-Cola. Like, let me be your chief brand officer and help you yeah. make these decisions. And they're probably like, well, you know what? Given our hit rate, you know, we'll we'll stick with the the current strategy. Um, I think, uh, you know, like a Playrix, and maybe maybe this is a good segue into the fake ads. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a Playrix um, approach is, is interesting because they basically took heyday right and you know they, they added a little bit of, of depth to the kind of simulation aspect of it but then they just threw in like a main character and a story right and it was like wow that like that really was an amazing like layer of depth to add to this type of to this type of of, of game mechanic um that just kind of took it to like supercharged it yeah and yeah it, it's, it's interesting that that, that like there because the actual like I mean, the game is great and it, it's what, you know, it's well-made and it looks, it, you know, it's very, you know, um, aesthetically pleasing, but like the, 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 if you differentiate that, if you, if you said, okay, like what are the, what are the elements of this that are different from another simulation game? It's just like, well, there's a, there's this house that's dilapidated and I got to fix it up, but there's actually a storyline that is like very compelling. And I feel like that, that was just like the secret ingredient. Yes. Yeah. And then that kind of takes us to the, um, to the second topic I want to talk about, which was fake ads. And so you mentioned Playrix, but even if you go kind of like further and you look at the, uh, well, this is how I look at the different trends of the ads. So, you know, the playable ads was kind of big thing when it came in. I think Machine, Machine Zone was kind of like leader in that, really pushing and, and achieving amazing things through playable ads. And then we kind of saw it going more towards this shock advertising. This was maybe in like 2018 uh, with with Firecraft Studios, with with Playrix kind of jumping on it as well. A lot of these narrative uh, driven games were were doing kind of very these sort of <laughs> sexual ads. Um, yeah. And then sad advertising is something that that tactile yeah. has been really good at. <laughs> it's like these griefing ads where where the, yeah. uh, the lady's being left alone and she's pregnant, but actually she wasn't pregnant. And and now yeah. we're in the era of like these some pretty much like fake playable. So. Playrix is, is the king of fake playables. It's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the one where you uh, draw some kind of like these needles off and then the lava comes in or whatever it yeah. is. And there's usually the main character. And what they've made is they actually integrated those playables, as we know, right. into the games. So they're not fake playables, but they are fake yeah. playables. So my question is like these misleading ads, do they really work? And, and what is the sort of like role of automation in, in the creative production today and, and post IDFA, you know? 
given that that there's more there's going to be more and more limitations on how many variations of campaigns you can run and when i'm gone when i haven't gone back and look through sensor tower through the all the ads that these companies have run like playrix for example when they release a new game you can kind of see them iterating on that playable ad and there's like yeah. small variation changes then they lock it in and usually once they get that ad done then the app store page changes, then they integrate the ad into the game and then the game just kind of lifts off and takes off to the next level. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I, th I think it, it will, I think that the, the sort of ability for those ads to make as much of a difference as they do now will be diminished post kind of post IDFA. I wrote an article about this uh, in more than a year ago, uh, it's called mobile ad creative, how to produce and deploy advertising creative at scale. Um, and it was, it was one of the biggest, but in terms of page views articles uh, that, that the mobile dev memos ever had. And I kind of, I, you know, it was just like 4,000 words. It's pretty long, but I, I went through like how the kind of mechanics of, you know, these, these modern ad platforms work, um, which is actually part of the course. So if anybody, uh, if anybody buys a course, they'll have access to like a, a more fleshed out um, presentation of this, but basically like the, the, these modern platforms, they're, they're designed to just be like, like scaled experiment machines. And so the way you sort of like fully utilize them is you just provide them with tons of stuff. And I think what a lot of people, the mistake a lot of companies make with creative is they'll do like, okay, well, um, we got this winner creative or we have a creative and we, we kind of know what the benchmarks are. And so let's just make a bunch of variants and like kind of, they just, they, you know, they'll have a hundred creatives or whatever, and they'll, they'll pump out 10 a week, but they're all just sort of like variations on this one concept. And what the way to unlock the power of a Facebook or a Google is to provide them with tons and tons and tons of like fundamentally different ad creative, right? Which is hard to do. It's very expensive. Um, and it's not even that it's just hard to come up with these ideas. You're coming up with these ideas, especially when, and, and, and if, and if you, cause the thing is you have a fully blank canvas, right? You have a game, right? But you're not constrained in making ads by even the imagery of that game as the fake, as the misleading ads, you know, show us, you could put anything you want in that ad. I mean, for the time being, I, th I think, um, this won't be the, the case for, for forever. I think, I think the FTC will kind of like rule on this, but you can put anything you want in that ad. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to find something that um, sort of taps in to the user's preference for your game, but it doesn't in a way that it doesn't compete head on with all the other ads that are, uh, that are advertising all the other games, mm. right? So you kind of escape that kind of competitive um, environment on, with, with respect to price. But you still are you still are like aligned with that user's preferences. So you're bringing in the right users, but you're not you're not using the imagery that everybody's using, and then competing head on with them in the auction, right? And so these big experiment engines, they're just really good at segmenting out every single possible user of your game. Usually filtering 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 them out first on the firstly on the the basis of their historical monetization using the IDFA, right, which won't be possible anymore. Splitting them in tons of different groups based on all the other information that Facebook and Google have, and then exposing all these different variants and finding the exact variant, the exact creative concept that works with this exact subgroup, which could be like fairly small and, and only, you know, only in face Facebook and Google could know the definitions of those groups. And just, and then just finding the precise exact uh, creative concept that, uh, that kind of plugs into that, that user's preferences for that subgroup. And so you're getting like the optimal kind of click throughs and the optimal sort of like fun, uh, funnel metrics for that, for that subgroup. Um, and so that's what fake ads, you could do anything. You could have a, a, a spaceman on a rocket ship. You could mm -hmm. have the weird thing with the pulling the pins out. You could do anything you want. And that's, that's what, um, that's what we discovered in, in the process of player scaling with these kind of fake ads. Now, the problem is 
it's you can you it's hard to automate that right now you can automate variants on those creative concepts and that's fairly straightforward still a technical challenge but you can't really automate the the concept itself right i mean then you're you're talking like almost just like a full ai doing that yeah. it's just not yeah. now you can create tools that make it really uh that make it like less cumbersome and that's what a lot of companies are doing. It's like, okay, well, you come up with the concept, but that's basically all you have to do. And then we can we can create a tool that kind of places everything and makes you know rich video and all that kind of stuff. But you still have to come up with a concept, right? And it's actually really hard, apropos of nothing, to come up with like a random idea. Um, like, so when you find these ones that work, they get overused, right? And so I think um, what you're seeing now is like a lot of the, the, the um, creative agencies that do this kind of stuff, they just have templates. And they're putting your game into a template, and so then you're 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 running into the same problem you would have run into if you made your own ads because you're you're competing head on with the same kind of imagery with all the other people that they're working with. So you have like 20 templates, and mm -hmm. they'll give you, hey, wow, they just delivered us 20 ads. They're all totally different concepts. That's amazing. Yeah, because they're templated. It's the same ads that everyone else is getting. There's just like a little bit of a difference because they use kind of some some yeah. some visual themes from your game. So that's, I mean, I think we're kind of, I think we're seeing the end of this because also it's just not going to work as well post IDFA, like, cause the, the ability to run all that experimentation is, is going to be, um, is going to be compromised. Hmm. That's a, so my experience with these, um, fake ads has been that, well, my experience and what I've, what I've learned from others who have been running fake ads is that the results have not been good. Like I've never talked to anybody from Playrix. Um, I'm sure they're getting great results, but nobody else has been getting good results. So they might get insanely high IPM. So for example, I'm not going to name the game, but it's a famous space IP and <laughs> mobile game. And the, the company was running an ad where they did um, a sort of like a pixelated version of that IP. And, and they were, they were, they were playing, playing there. Um, sorry. So they were doing a pixelated version of, of that ad. And that drove insanely, that, that drove the IPM insanely high. The CPIs were low, but nevertheless, the players that came into that game yeah. had really poor ROAS because actually the right. game is quite complicated, even though they yeah. knew the IP. So, so that, that's one example. And, and another one's just, yeah, multiple different ones where, where I've seen uh, these sort of a, like a more shocking ads being, being tried. Again, great IPM, but really poor ROAS. So I, I've never seen... In other words, what I'm trying to say is like, I've never seen any, anybody from UA coming in and telling me that these fake ads have worked for them. Everybody just says they work for Playrix. And then some of the, yeah, uh, I, I have seen, I've seen them work, but not, but the thing is like a lot, what a lot of people do is they just take uh, guidance from the Playrix fake ads and they try mm -hmm. to mimic that. And that's not the point. The point is you got to go totally radically experimentally different. Um, and, and so when I've seen, I've seen companies have success, I've also seen companies just fail. Like it just doesn't work yeah. for that exact same reason. I think a lot of times it's not, it's not going to work for a more core game, right? That's harder to pick up. Like a, it'll work for like a casualish game, um, like a gardenscapes or a homescapes because you can pick it up easily. And, and the monet, the monetization is not as, is, is, uh, stratified. Um, although I'm sure they have like mega whales in those games, but, but it's not as stratified and, and, and it's not, it's not the, the, the economy isn't as dependent on the, the, the stratification. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I've seen, I've seen companies just not just try that and, and have it not work and spend about a hundred K with creative agencies, uh, learning that lesson. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the, uh, the post IDFA. You said it's not going to work out. Now let's say we're talking about a team that has gotten the modern, modern mobile marketing at scale course. They've updated their, their iOS 14 knowledge. 
and iOS 14 is upon us. And now yeah. like, what are you, what are you going to do? Because you, you, you know, if, if the, uh, if the fake ads or these sort of uh, ads that, that show something that is really not in your game, like what, what is the right strategy to improve your creatives uh, post IDFA? Well, it's just going to be a lot more. Um, it's going to be a lot slower to experiment. And I feel like that I've kind of talked about this a bunch, but like this move to the middle, like you've got to go, you're not going to be able to find those niche groups, those subgroups, those tiny, those, those, you know, relatively small groups of people and give them exactly what they want in order to optimize your advertising. You're going to have to go bigger and kind of like move more towards like the average. Right. And so I think just finding stuff that's generally more clickable to a big audience is what you're going to have to do. Because like with Facebook, for instance, um, you know, current guidance is that they're only going to give you nine campaigns. I've heard that that's going to be increased, that they've actually found a way and that'll increase over time too. Um, but, but they won't be able to do these like subgroup uh, definitions based on historical monetization anymore. They won't have that kind of, at least not, not directly from apps. I mean, they still have some context around monetization from other stuff, but not from apps and not from specific app types. So they're going to lose all that. And so like their ability to create like, I mean, 10,000 segments, of people to show ads to, and then, you know, and then just chop up your sort of ad library and show in, and experiment um, with each one of those ads on each one of those 10,000 groups. It's just, it's going to be, it's going to be diminished. Right. And so like, it, it'll be a lot slower to do that. Um, so I think you just need, you're going to need to make ads that not like with the weirdo, uh, you know, uh, sadistic, uh, what do you call it? Sadvertising, but, but it's going to have to be stuff that's just more generally appealing, right? Like that just, and maybe the sadistic stuff appeals to a lot of people and it's just kind of, taps into some other uh you know some other vein of interest that that we 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 can't sort of like observe but it, like in your brain that those connections are made mm -hmm. um but i think you're just gonna have to go broader you're gonna have to you have to move more towards the middle you're gonna have to go more towards like mass market stuff and i think that's that's gonna also impact you know we talked about this last time but what games get made yeah uh i 100 agree so what what happens with the um so there's a lot of services uh the one that i use is called geek lab where mm -hmm. you can essentially test out. So it creates you a fake app store page and you can test, yeah. uh, test out your creatives and your funnel conversion through Facebook and Instagram. It just leads to a fake page and people don't know it's fake page. So they still yeah. click on a install and through that, you kind of get the full IPM. Um, is the usage of those type of services going to increase since you're unable to run more campaigns on Facebook? Like what's your take? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think what I see happening is you, I see companies trying to move this personalization further, like deeper into the funnel into the game. So like you make a, a big, broad mass appeal game, and then you get a bunch of users in, and then immediately start trying to personalize the experience for them in the game. So you almost kind of see the game as kind of like the early funnel is kind of like a storefront where you're experimenting and then putting people on different paths based on how they interact. Um, I, my sense is like the, the moving up funnel, you're just going to try to make it as broad as possible. Now. Yeah. You, of course, you're going to want to test that stuff because it's going to be super important. Right. And it, it is now. Um, but I think, you know, ha having that kind of conversion stay flat from the ad click to the, to the storefront is going to be super important. Um, just because you have less ability to, to, to sort of like optimize the people that you're reaching. Right. And with the, you know, kind of without the advertising ID, um, so yeah, I mean, I see that kind of stuff, that, that stuff, I think it's, it's not like it gets more important, but I think people finally start to invest resources there that mm -hmm. maybe haven't been doing it prior to now, because, because honestly, like Facebook's made everybody lazy. 
And Google has made everybody, it's so easy. I mean, I think, um, you know, I was kind of going on a rant on Twitter the other day about how UA is a dead end career. Like there, you get to a point where you're, it's, you're just clicking buttons, really. I mean, like yeah. Facebook, and, especially now, Facebook and Google do all the heavy lifting, right? And, and it's gotten so um, siloed, especially with like, because UA used to kind of encompass like there's, there's like an analytical uh, component to it and maybe even, you know, building some models and doing some kind of like stuff, you know, doing kind of like deeper analysis in Python. And like now, honestly, you go to a big team, it's like UA people are in Facebook all day. And, uh, you know, there's a marketing analytics team and they're kind of interacting with the product and stuff. And that that's the kind of stuff where there's like, you know, there's a there's a future for those types of roles and those types of roles can evolve. But UA is, is kind of a dead end thing because because Facebook and Google just they just absorbed all that work. Um, and so now it's just like, well, okay, Facebook's doing great. You know, Google's doing great. Uh, Google's not doing great. So let's change the budget. Let's change the bid. Uh, Facebook's yeah. it's tanking. So let's uh, add some more ads in. Right. It's, it's so funny that you're saying this because this is exactly what uh, you mentioned Erland in the, in the beginning. So he used to head supercells uh, UA or, or, you know, growth performance marketing. And he was saying this back in like 2012 and 13, that UA is a, like a dead end job. Not, not in those particular worlds, but, but kind of the whole UA team was, was talking about that, that this is going to happen. I was like, what are you talking about? This is the hottest yeah. job in the business. But they were already right. saying in like 2013. And they were, gonna, they, were, they were saying like, everything's going to be automated. You're not going to need us. And like, like this, is not yeah. a, this is not a job you should be in. But since then, it's been like five years, the hottest job. Yeah. I mean, you know what? It, it, I mean, that, that was, that was, you know, prescient, uh, advice, it, but I, if I could go back to 2012 and take one piece of advice from Maryland, it wouldn't be that it would be to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> he was, I remember we went out, we went out to in dinner one night, he came to Helsinki and we went out to dinner and he's telling me about Bitcoin. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I mean, who gives a shit? Like this nerd money. <laughs> what, why are you talking about this? Like, I'm not interested in this. It's like, I, he's like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> like and the fed what are you talking about like <laughs> he's, a, he's an extremely smart man in the hindsight <laughs> yeah i wish i would have bought bitcoin <laughs> yeah shout out to erland yeah yeah so so okay so to get back to the fake ads and kind of like what's the future the way i see it is okay so you said more resources will go into these testing tools and the second part is you said the ua team is is not going to be just it's just well you said dead end job but definitely not as important. But maybe the third thing is the role of a sort of like a marketing creative director will become more and more important because you will have to understand the, uh, your players. You'll have to come up with different creative concepts because if you work always with creative agencies, they're going to give you templates. Is that something that, that you would advocate as well? Yeah. Well, I would advocate, I mean, I would have advocated that I'm starting, you know, 2017, 18. It's funny that, you know, some of the, you know, games making a billion dollars in a year and the UA team were just like spitballing ad creative ideas, right? I mean, like you know, there's big studios that don't have any internal capabilities uh, for creative, um, you know, you know, no creative director for marketing. It's like, you know, they're spending a hundred million a year, 50 million, like, so, it just, it, you know, you need that. That's, that's just something that's been needed for a while. I mean, the market has evolved. It's mature. Right. And I mean, you know, you're, that's where, that's where the, and that's where the competition is. That's the front line. It's, it's the, um, it's Facebook, it's Facebook ads, it's, it's Instagram ads, it's, you know, Google, it's, it's whatever. So it's just, it's weird that a lot of companies have like resisted fully resourcing that. Um, Cause it's important is if you're spending a hundred million a year on ads, you want to make sure that, you know, you're getting, you're squeezing, the most yield out of those as you can. And part of the way you do that is you build up a creative, at least a creative director to manage the agencies. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I 100% agree with that. A lot of the companies that I worked with did not have a marketing creative director. And it was kind of confusing because, yes, the spending is in tens of millions. And that's yeah. a really, really small investment if you can find a, a good enough marketing director. Right. <sighs> well, you know, the, the I mean, the worst scenario, and I've seen this happen, you know, pretty frequently, is that you've got a kind of CMO who is just really, they're, they're, they're kind of like, laser focused on that like, brand idea, right? Like they, they want to be going to, you know, they want to be uh, branching out into YouTube and actual media. And like, they kind of come from a different world and, and it's just like, you know, they want to be going to can and not can lion the ad, uh, the ad uh, award show. They want to be going to like the real can, you know, and hobnobbing with, with Leo. Uh, and you know, they, it's just like, they keep trying to, to, to redirect all the efforts of the company into like the sort of like mainstream, like, um, you know, ma you know, mass market, like traditional, uh, you know, marketing channels, because like, that's, that's how they become famous, right? Like that's how they get like kind of recognition and not, that's not how you actually grow the, the core game. Right. And like, yeah. that is super frustrating. And then, you know, you just working see with the most expensive agencies, right? Oh, because yeah. when you work with the expensive agency, then that agency, you know, takes you to Cannes and they kind of promote you and you become this big, big, you know, big marketing leader. I could, I could, I could share a story now. I will not do that, but uh, I could share as well. Yes. I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> but yeah, and that's, that's a frustrating situation because um, it's almost like the, 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 the performance marketing people then are on like defense, like trying to justify their existence. And it's like, come on, like, this is how we grow. It's like, okay, you can have some budget. And it's like, what are you talking about? It's a mobile game. And I don't know, it's it, like, that's what's so nice about having, you know, the play Rixes um, of the world exist because like, that was, I think maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but that was like probably the first like mobile first mobile only uh, company that blew out massive hits through performance UA. Right. And like, no one there's gonna be like, ah, oh, but they had a brand or they like, you know, they kind of, they, they, they sort of like had, they, they, they captured lightning in a bottle and it was, it went mass market. No, that didn't happen. They, they blew those games out through just like systematic focused UA. And so now you can point to that and be like, Hey, you want to be a multi-billion dollar company and you're mobile exclusive and you make mobile games. That's how you do it. Right. Cause every, everyone yeah. else like, Oh no, we gotta be next supercell. We gotta, you know, we'll hit the clash of clans then it'll just grow organically or next Rovio or it's like, no, that's that. First of all, there's like a different, that was a different moment in time. Yeah. Like, that's not going to happen anymore. And second, like you can't count on that. Like, I don't want to build a business on like a, a continuous roll of the dice. Like I want to build something sustainable. Right. Um, but yeah, that that's, it's very frustrating to be in that situation. Yeah. And by the way, now that you said play Rex and them, them kind of like finding growth through, through um, performance marketing. One of the things is, is actually, when I think about it, they have the same characters and they kind of like putting the same universe together with the, with the bold yeah. Alfred guy. He's like in two games, but he's also in township and he's now in, in fish dumb. And they're kind of like bringing things together in the zoo game. Uh, right. Gardenscapes is part of that same universe. So they, they're definitely pulling things together. All right. Yeah, they're very thoughtful about it. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of ground. So games and brands, we talked about uh, fake ads, uh, what that means for the industry. And most importantly, uh, we know that if you put on the DOF code into the modern, modern mobile marketing at scale course, you're going to get 20% off. Is that true? That's right. DOF 20. And the, the URL is learn-mobile-marketing.com or go to mobile dev memo. And there's a link on the right side. Awesome. Get yourself the best possible course 
and we'll be back with growth triggers three three so dm us uh what topics you want us to cover and we'll do that thanks guys see ya